Let's talk digital. We are at the cutting edge of digital tweaks, changes, transformation. A local digital marketing podcast. Conversing with industry experts and giving excerpts about the exception. Hosted by Audrey Naidu. Sit back, relax, enjoy the conversation. I'm really looking forward to what's coming up in South Africa in the next couple of months and years. Hello everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Digital with myself, Audrey Naidu. As digital advertising shifts from third-party identifiers towards a privacy-driven approach, investing in first-party data is a strategy that can help marketers and organizations easily adapt. My guest today is Nicholas Layton, Account Executive at Adobe South Africa, and we will be talking about how brands can operationalize first-party data. Nicholas has 25 years of experience in the IT industry, which includes a combination of technical, business, and sales activities. I'm really looking forward to getting into the nitty-gritties of the practical implementation of first-party data strategy. Welcome to the podcast, Nicholas. Great to have you with us. Thank you, Audrey. It's great to be here. Yeah, I know um, you and I have been chatting, so it's really I'm really looking forward to our conversation this morning. Um, and then just to, to get to know you a little bit better, um, what type of hobbies have you picked up during lockdown, if any? Oh, yeah. Um, not many, to be honest. Um, I'm trying to stay away from becoming Bob the Builder and fixing everything around the house, um, which I think is a temptation because you start to see more things that need to be fixed. But um, yeah, I've always done a little bit of mountain biking and I've done a bit more of that during lockdown. It's quite a safe sport and uh, good to get out in the fresh air a little bit every now and again. Oh, that's great. Uh, the joys of working from home, hey? Oh, yes. So <laughs> oh, yes. It has its benefits. It does. It does. Um, and yeah, nice sometimes to be around the family and to just get to spend a little bit more time with, with the kids, the wife. Um, Sometimes, you know, when you're at work the entire day, you, you miss some of that. No. So, yeah, a little bit a little bit different being, being at home. No, definitely. I'm also enjoying that and grateful for that time. Uh, Nick, everyone is aware of the cookie apocalypse and what's coming. Um, the big question is why cookie-less beats cookies? Yeah, it's an interesting question, that, Audrey. So, um you know, if we think about cookies and what's happened in that in that space and what's still happening in that space at the moment, there's really two types of cookies. There's the first party cookie, which isn't disappearing. You know, that's the cookie that's been used on on an organization's website to allow a company to know what's in the basket, for example, or to you know store some login details. And those first party cookies will continue. It's the third party cookie that's starting to to disappear. Um, and if you think about the reasons for that, a lot of it is because of how those cookies have been used. You know, they've been used to track a customer as they engage on different websites around the internet. And that's been a little bit creepy for a lot of people. Um, and it's become very public and very visible. And as a result, there's a lot of legislation that's been introduced to start to prevent some of these things. Um, and a lot of visibility within the public about how these cookies are used and people just don't want their data to be used in all sorts of places without their permission. Um, so as a result, I think what we're finding is that cookie-less, as you say, is starting to, to beat cookies. Um, we need to find other ways to engage customers um, that where, where they can trust what the brand is doing with their data 
um, and they know that people are engaging with them in an open and transparent way. So, yeah, thank you for that great summation of the current state that we're finding ourselves in. And I think I would like to focus today's conversation around brands building this first-party data strategy and to focus on practical ways in which they can do it. And uh, where do we start with this, Nick? Yeah, there's, you know, there's a couple of areas um, that I think organizations can consider in this. Um, you know, there's obviously the technology layer, right? When you start to build a first-party data strategy, it's about data and you need technology to allow you to capture that data. Um, but there's also some other considerations. You, know, you need to think about the organization and, and how the organization is structured, what some of the goals are. Um, it's a people process and technology consideration. You, know, you need to think about all of those aspects when you start to build out that, that first body data strategy. And we're gonna drill down into those different aspects that you now are bringing up. But how can um, marketers harness the data within the customer journey? You know, um, we start with mapping the, the customer journeys, then what? I mean, how do you collect this data? Yes, yeah, so I would say that probably the first step is to, you know, I mentioned having a place to store the data, right? So the first place, the first step is thinking about where do you put the data? Um, and how do you structure that data in a way that makes it easy to use. Um, so there's a number of considerations there and often that involves creating a profile of the customer first, right? So how do we create that data profile um, and ensure that there's a structure to it? You know, if you can leverage some kind of standard industry structure, that's probably very helpful because it gets you going more quickly. Um, but then you also need to think about things that are a little bit unique to your, to your business. So once you've got that data model and data structure in place and you're starting to bring some data into that environment, then as you say, you can start to think about mapping the customer journey. Um, and the customer journey is two, twofold, I would say. Um, there's that anonymous journey, right? You'll have people come into a website, for example, um, who you may not know, they, they haven't necessarily identified themselves. Um, and then you've got the known customer journey. And that's when you've got an, an, an individual that's coming through to the site you've logged in perhaps, or maybe you communicate it out to them. Maybe you're sending them an email or an SMS. Um, but when you're thinking about that type of customer journey, it's, it's, it's a little bit different, right? You, you know something about the customer in that regard. And you can start to think about how do you help that customer achieve the goal that they might have with your brand? How do you, um, Think about where they might be getting stuck or, or how do you deliver a better experience at a step in that journey to make it as easy as possible for them to engage with you and to want to come back and work with your brand again in the future. So when you start to think about that and you start to map those customer journeys, I would say the first step is, is understanding what customers are doing, right? So how do you start to do some analytics on their behaviors on your digital properties. What do they do when they come to your website? Um, what do they do when they come into your mobile app? Um, and start to understand that engagement. Where do they potentially drop off? Where do they maybe go through to a call center because they're getting stuck with something that's happening on the website? And as you start to do some analysis on those journeys, you can then start to map how customers are engaging 
and you can start to think about ways to improve that customer journey moving forward. So you've mentioned quite a few things yeah, and I just want to start uh, with the first thing that I've picked up, which was data modeling and structure. So if it's an unknown customer coming into your website or own platforms, what tool or tech do you need to actually capture that data? Um, you know, I know a lot of companies on the website, they've got analytics tools. What, what's going to be adequate at its, at its bare minimum? Yeah, I would say an, an analytics tool, a, be, a web behavioral analytics tool is going to be critical at that stage for the anonymous customer. Um, you'll have potentially ways with first-party cookies to identify whether somebody comes back in a certain period of time. That time is limited. Um, so that means that you're able to understand what they did in the first visit and if they've come back again within that time frame, what they did in the second visit. And you can start to understand how they're engaging across your properties. Um, what are they doing on a mobile device? What are they doing on the web? Um, so yes, that, that's the first step. That web analytics piece is quite important to understand the anonymous customer, but it also becomes important to understand the known customer. So when that customer identifies themselves, the trick there is to say, let's now take that information we have about them engaging with us in an anonymous way and link it to their known profile. We can then understand their previous engagements with us um, and we can start to bring other data about that customer into that um, customer profile and think about what their needs and wants are and how best to engage with them. So some of the analytics tools that are out there that brands are using? There's not a huge number. Um, mm. I mean, Adobe offers a solution, Google offers a solution. Um, so there are a couple of, of analytics solutions out there. There's not a huge number, though, I would say, when it comes to web, to web analytics. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. Um, we've, we've been down that path as well. And, and then in terms of, um, so, so if we had to pause and, and talk about the, the, the data and the, the capturing of this data, um, we will see that customers are having more control over how their data is being used. I mean, you, we'll, we'll see with iOS now with the recent changes being made to device tracking, all of that. Um, we we shifting towards a permission-based marketing and that value exchange of data. So is it as simple as saying, okay, if you have the analytics tools, we can now collect the data? You're right. So um, that's not necessarily always the case. Um, typically, organizations want to and need to request the permission of customers to gather data about them and to track them. Um, and that's an important step, right? Beyond the requirement to do it from a legislative perspective, um, as you say, this is about trust-based marketing. And it's, it's critical that brands think about how they build trust with the customers coming through to their sites. The customer needs to understand what type of data you're gathering about them, why you're gathering that data, right? What are you going to do with it? And then they need to know that you're going to comply in, and use that data in the way that you said you will. If you can do that, then yes, you start to build trust with customers. And the question does become, well, why would I as a customer give XYZ brand my data? What's in it for me? And 
that's where organizations need to think a little bit about that value exchange. What do they need to give to the customer to encourage the customer to give data to them? What can the customer benefit from? And it might be a specific offer. It might be some um, personalized experiences. It might be some kind of a discount. Um, there needs to be something though in it for the customer. So yes, I mean, as you mentioned, um, it's, it's about gathering the data, um, allowing an organization to do it in a way that the customer can then trust them. Um, so you've got to look after that data once it's gathered and then provide a reason for the customer to actually give you that data in the first place. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you have any perspective of brands that, you know, to give some ideas or examples of brands that are looking already looking into this value exchange of data? We we do have some examples. Um, so I don't know if I can mention specific company names, um, but you know, I can maybe mention one or two strategies, right? So an example would be that um, there might be an organization who's wanting to try and encourage people to opt in to email. And, and perhaps in that instance, it's perhaps worth offering them some kind of a voucher or a discount on a product to encourage them to provide that email address with that opt-in permission. Um, there might be some content as well, right? As the second strategy that is particularly interesting or useful for somebody. So if you think about a publisher, um, a publisher might make certain content available. If a customer then opts in and, and starts to move into their, um, their publisher domain, if you think about it that way. So um, they may still need to purchase some of the content that sits behind the, the paywall. Um, but maybe you give a little bit more content for free if the customer has given their details through to you. Um, and then a third example is, is personalization and recommendations. Um, so being clear to customers about how you can start to make the experience for them better if you understand them a little bit better. Instead of providing all sorts of generic offers, um, be clear how you can then use the data you have about them to rather provide information that's more interesting and relevant to them. Um, so if you think about that in the context of, let's say, a financial institution, um, if somebody is interested in a home loan, you can say to them, we can use information about you to share additional details about home loans. You know, what is, what is, um, what should you think about in terms of paying your home loan down, for example, if we know about you and we know that you're interested in this topic, we can start to share more information with you about that and, and help you better manage your home loan and be a, a take more control of your financial situation. So, you know, that that's a couple of examples. I think the key takeout for me from, from what you just said is that it's so critical for brands to start looking at this data holistically versus in silos. Because if you just collect this first party uh, cookies or, or build it, just from a, a, a platform um, channel perspective, you're still not going to extract the optimal value of the data. Integrating it into the broader system or CRM system becomes key because what you're saying is that you need further insights of the customer to personalize that experience. And just having yes. one one layer of data or looking at it from a vertical or 
lens or linear way is not going to solve the problem. So, so what are some of your insights around, you know, integration of this data so that it becomes more meaningful for you to have that value exchange conversations? Yeah, so I mean, that's a good point, right? You mentioned CRM systems, um, and that's certainly quite a key source of data. Um, and depending on how much data is in your CRM system and how real time that data needs to be, um, you might also be thinking about gathering data from other systems like a transactional system, for example, something showing what somebody has bought, um, or maybe a call center system. Um, there's, there's a number of sources of customer data that typically sit within an organization. And of course, there's that behavioral data that I mentioned as well. So where all of this becomes really valuable is when you can bring together that existing known data about the customer with the behavioral data, um, and you can start to analyze that in real time. Uh, and real time becomes quite important in this context because when a customer is engaging with you on a property, they're expecting the right information back for them at that point in time, not when they come on their next visit tomorrow. You know, at that point in time, they're expecting you to understand them, to know about them, and then to present the right information back to them. So all of that data is important. And as you mentioned, it often sits in silos inside of organizations. So um, it, it's you, st you need to start to think about how do you have a central place to store the data in a structured way and then how do you make it easy to create connections uh, through to those other source systems so that data can flow in? And as the data comes in, you can format it so that it fits into the data model that you define for the customer. So have it flown in from multiple places, format the data as it's coming in, and then ensure that it's stored in a common repository where it then becomes easy to use for you as a marketer. Which brings us to the next uh, step of the conversation um, in terms of uh, a CDP, um, because we we already seen that transition from DMPs to CDPs. So, so you know, let's let's talk about how important it is for brands to start investing or considering having a a, a CDP. Yeah, and I think you know maybe it's worth just commenting on DMP versus CDP because mm -hmm. um, you mentioned both of them there. So there are some subtle differences and, and at the heart, right, at their core, um, they promise a similar solution in a slightly different way. They both promise to collect data about your customers so that, the, that you as a marketer can then um, use that data and that insight to engage the customer better. The difference really with the DMP, it's focused on um, anonymous data. Often those third-party cookies is a big part of it um, that we spoke about earlier, but it's, it's typically anonymous or, or anonymized data. With the CDP, um, the data set tends to be a little bit broader and it does start to focus more on individually identifiable data, data about a specific person. Um, so. When you think about that, you know, the DMP it was strong in the world where third party cookies were prevalent. But as people are moving away from that, the CDP is starting to become more and more valuable because it allows you to store a lot of first party data about customers um, and that granular identifiable information about the customer. Um, 
and that then becomes that hub, right? The, that source for you to to start to engage with customers, to start to think about how do we use first-party data to acquire new customers? How do we use first-party data to deliver better experiences for, for our customers? How do we use that data to understand how our customers engage with us in the journeys we spoke about earlier um, and to figure out where there might be problems in those journeys? So the CDP becomes a, a great source of, of that information that you need to more effectively run and operate your business. So, so the question back to you, Nick, is CDPs um, an option for brands or is it a necessity? Well, yes, option or necessity. I, I would say um, if a brand wants to be um, relevant in the digital ecosystem moving forward, um, and if they need to engage with customers at any form, at any type of scale, then I think a CDP is not optional. I think it's it's the heart and soul of of how an organisation is going to understand their customers, um, and it'll be the source of data that allows them to decide how to do pretty much everything that they want to do with a customer, if they want to be relevant and engaging and personal to that customer. If they're happy to engage in a very generic way, um, then a CDP is probably not needed. But outside of that, I would say it, it becomes critical for businesses moving forward. Well, I guess if if a brand wants to take um, customers seriously in terms of their growth agenda, then this becomes a strategic imperative. I believe so, yes. And as I say, especially if there's a reasonable number of customers, right? A very small organization, maybe it's not it's not needed. But as soon as you start to engage with larger volumes of customers, it's going to be critical. Um, you need to be able to start to store and understand your customers and store data about them and understand them. And and that's that's not going to be possible possible without the right data tools in place. Mm. So in terms of CDPs, you know, now the MarTech landscape is expanding so much. I mean, the latest I've seen is there's like over 7,500 tech stacks available um, and and so many different uh, solution providers coming, you know, with CDPs and the, the promise of what it can do for brands. Um, so what I'd like to understand is what is critical in terms of assessing what type of CDP uh, one should consider investing in? What What is the, the basics it should have? I mean, we're looking at machine learning, AI, you know, what, what encompasses a good CDP to consider? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I, I've particularly noticed in the CDP space that there's been a proliferation of CDPs becoming available in the market over the last couple of years. Um, from a very almost unknown segment, maybe three years ago, suddenly there's there's a lot of them around now. And I would say, you know, if you're thinking about a CDP, um, you'd probably want to be thinking about, you know, who is the who is the organisation who's developing that CDP? All right, um, we need. I would suggest you'd want to invest with somebody who's got a, a reasonably good track record um, and somebody who's going to be around for a while. Because I do think there'll be some consolidation in the CDP space over the next couple of years. Um, some will disappear, some will merge into bigger brands, and some of the smaller ones will find ways to become very relevant and, and, and will grow. Um, 
But that is a that is a consideration, I would say. And then if you start to think about the capabilities of the CDP, um, so firstly, I would say the the most important part is that customer profile. So what capabilities does the CDP have to help you establish that customer profile? Um, is there an existing data model, for example? Um, are there capabilities within the CDP that allow you to um, ingest different forms or sources of customer data and essentially merge those together so that you can build a single profile of the customer. Um, so that's that's a key element. Um, another one is thinking about how do you ingest data into the CDP? So how open is it um, and how how is it built to allow real-time ingestion of data? Because um, as I mentioned earlier, you know when you're engaging with the customer, you're engaging with them in real time. So how do you bring data in in real time? That's another consideration. Um, a third one is activation. So once you've got the data sitting there in the CDP, how do you activate it? And, and there's two parts to that. There's the data and machine learning piece, and then there's the technologies that allow you to use that data. So you would, you would need to think about how open is the CDP to allow you to connect to some existing technologies you have today. You probably have an email solution, right, that allows you to send an email out to a customer. How can the CDP work with that email solution to pass customer segments through so that you can then send emails to them or send an SMS? How does it work with your personalization tool and your website? How would it work with the advertising technology that you use so that you can pass those segments across to place ads on, on, on third-party sites? So that's a key part of activation. And the other part that you mentioned is, is the machine learning and artificial intelligence. That's also an element of activation. And as you think about increasing volumes of data coming into these platforms, humans can only do so much, right? There's, there's just too much data for us to, to sift through it all. So a key part of the machine learning and artificial intelligence is saying what models exist to make it easy for the marketer to, to get some insights and to make some decisions and, and to allow the marketer to be creative, to be expressive, to find ways to truly engage the customer. Um, AI should enable humans to do their job better. So what are the tools that are available within the CDP to make it easy for the marketer? But then, you know, there's often going to be a need to do some more, I'd say more advanced data science work. Um, and that typically requires the marketing team working with a data science team often in the business. So what technology or what capability does the CDP offer to allow those data scientists to bring custom models into the data and to do some real-time custom modeling um, so that they can identify audiences and, you know, target those audiences more effectively using those models that they've defined and built. So I would say those are the, the four key areas to, to really consider. Well, now you're talking about stuff that really excites me. Um, you mentioned two things, and, and you know I just want to ask you so many questions, but I, I guess I've just got to contain it to the important ones. Um, so, so my first question was, is um, around marketing cloud platforms and CDPs and how they work together, or do you need both? I would say um, often a CDP sits within the marketing cloud platform, 
Um, most marketing cloud providers will have a CDP in their offering. Um, and there may, there may be instances where an organization decides to use a different CDP that doesn't sit within one of the marketing clouds that they may, they may be using. Um, so I would say, yes, you need the CDP and you need the marketing cloud, but the CDP may be a part of the marketing cloud investment that you've made. So big brands who have an investment already in like a Salesforce marketing cloud or Adobe marketing cloud, you are saying um, they could announce that offering to, to top it up with the CDP as well. Yes, correct. So most of those brands will, will offer then a CDP within their stack and the organization can take a look at that and say, do we want to invest in that CDP? Um, there may be reasons that they want to use a third party and there's something that's not part of their core marketing technology stack for whatever reason. Um, and that should be possible as well. Um, but really you do need to think about what is the right CDP and, and how will that CDP then connect into the marketing technologies that we use. Um, and you know, when you think about marketing technology, often, often a company invests in a, Mar in a MarTech stack um, and that stack may not be all from a single vendor. Um, in, in fact, in many cases, it's not. It's a combination of technologies from several. So in that context, part of what you'd want to think about is how does the CDP enable connections to all of those technologies that we use? Is it possible to connect our data and share it with those technologies? Um, and work seamlessly across all of them. That's often an important consideration. Yeah, I completely agree. Again, you mentioned marketing, engaging, for example, the data scientist team, the IT team. So the big question for me is who makes the investment? Is it the marketing team or the IT team? Yeah, that, that's, also, <laughs> that's also a very um, important topic. And, and I think it does vary a little bit from one organization to another. But I would say on the whole, it's both. Um, the two the two organizations need to um, be coming together to think about the requirements that they have as a business and ensure that the selection of the technology is right for both of them. Um, you know, IT are often important in those selections because the IT organization often owns a lot of existing data about the customer um, and often data science individuals sit within the IT part of the business. So. It is important to, to involve IT in, in that process. And IT also then bring some other considerations, right? They'll, they'll think about um, where is this system hosted? How is it run? Is, it, is the data well protected? Is our security all in order? Um, and you know, they'll think about the architecture and, and some of those things. But for IT to make the decision by themselves would be wrong. You know, um, the marketing team are the ones who will ultimately use this technology and they need to be comfortable that it allows them to, um, as the data flows in, allows them to really analyze and understand that data and find ways to build out the segments that they need to engage customers. They need to be comfortable that it's, it's a friendly system for a marketer to use, you know, without requiring that marketer to become a data specialist or, um, to, to wrangle data to figure out how they need to engage their customers. Yeah, you know what? Realistically, it is a challenge to get right. I, I have to admit, the few companies that work well and break down the silo mentality, they're the one that's becoming more successful 
in implementing this first party data strategy and i think you've said it up front um you spoke about people process tech you know which is critical and so i just want to touch on the people side of it in terms of capability and skill set are you seeing in south africa that there is an adequate level of capability to get this right to actually operationalize this first party data strategy I would say uh, generally in South Africa, there is a skill shortage. Um, I don't think it's linked specifically to the CDP topic, but um, just generally there, there is a data, there, there's a shortage of skills, a shortage of people who understand how to effectively use data. So it's probably one of our biggest challenges. You know, it requires, I would say it requires organizations to think very carefully about how they approach these subjects. It's not something that can be ignored, but it's something that maybe needs a um, a more staged approach to how you start to implement and deploy these technologies. Um, you know, a first step is making sure that you've got some good alignments amongst the executive team so that, that the senior management in the business understand what they're trying to do as it relates to customers and customer data. Um, and then ensuring that the right goals are in place in the business. So you, you need to think about what is your objective for you know, so obtaining this customer data? What are you trying to do with it? Um, and then make sure that the right goals are in place to encourage the business to find ways to collect data in the, in the right way and use it in the right way. And, and as you start to establish that, you can then start to think about the sense of excellence that would be that hub, right? A few core people that really know what you're trying to achieve and where you're heading. Um, they can establish that initial framework and, and start to put in place some of the key principles that the organization will follow. And from there, you can then start to build it out, right? As you start to then establish the CDP, start to bring in some data and start small, uh, you can then show value as you deliver these initial smaller um, results for the organization, but show value as you move through each phase of, of your use of these technologies. So you're right, you know, we, we have a shortage of skill. Um, and I think what it means is that organizations may need to go a little bit slower in some respects, but I think it's a mistake not to start. Um, and it would be a mistake to say, we don't have the skill, so let's ignore it and hope it goes away. Um, you know, organizations need to, I'd say, uh, take the bull by the horns and say, how do we start small, show value, um, but really understand where our, our long-term vision is heading and build up our business and our organization and our skills and our people along the way as we go. I 100% agree because if they don't do that now, two, three years down the line, they're going to become obsolete, right? Yes, or, or the problem is suddenly becoming a really big one and staring them in the face and, and they're then sitting there saying, we just have no skill. You know, we, we don't have this, the, the people in our business who know how to do this um, and we don't have the time anymore to build that skill and that knowledge. So you're then in a very difficult position, right? You've got the skill shortage and you also don't have enough time to address that. Well, alternatively, um, what we're seeing uh, as a trend after speaking to many of my guests is that 
the the dependency and the use continuous use of technology solutions or consultancy to do the work that the brand should be doing themselves in ours so so we're kind of losing control but also that dependency is growing you know uh, because they don't they're not building that skill set inside an organization yes you're 100 percent correct about that and um what what we've seen with you know, looking at some of our partners, and I would say on a global basis, right, not just in South Africa, um, we've seen partners and consulting organizations working with customers to build those skills because they realize and the customer realizes that this, this skill can't sit outside of the business. There's, there's value that consulting organizations can bring in helping customers to think about how they well, let me not say customers, let me say organizations, right? Helping organizations to think about how they um, really establish the right practices, the right processes, build up the skills, get things working correctly, um, and then help them with innovation and ideas as their uh, maturity in the technology evolves. So there's a lot of value to be had there, but to, to have it run entirely outside of the organization um, it's just not a sustainable approach, especially when you're thinking about something like a CDP. It's got all of your customer data in it. You need to be very careful about who has access to that and what, what part of that data you give away. Um, as you start to give that data to third parties to help you manage it or give that data away to somebody to advertise to an audience, um, how do you protect that data, right? If you, if you don't have that in-house, if it's not managed by individuals that work for your business, then you're losing control of probably the most important asset that your organization has, customer data. Yeah, if you if you had to look at me right now, I'm just frantically nodding my head in agreement with what you've just said. And I strongly believe that data and technology alone is not going to solve the, the challenges being faced by marketers today. Operational changes are required. And having gone through the Adobe 2021 um, Digital Trends Report, I noticed that the, the acronym for 2021 is MOPS, Marketing Operations. Having processes and expertise aimed at some of the most challenging elements of marketing, including how data is defined, analyzed, and put to use. And it's exactly what you've just said. Yes, it is. It's that, that operational element of marketing, you know, um, and it is, it's about, it's about the processes, it's about the people, it's about the training, it's about the goals that you set. Um, and thinking about ultimately, where do you want to be as a business? Um, what's our long-term vision? And what are the things we can do today to start to get us established to achieve that long-term vision of, of really being being able to deliver exceptional experiences for customers. Mm, quite an exciting space to be in right now for brands to start to build us out. And and like digital transformation, it's, it's not a destination, it's a journey. But what we're talking about today, it's a fundamental principles and the steps required to get to that place and and which is why this conversation is taking longer than our usual podcast sessions and i don't want to just you know uh cut it off what i need to ask you nick is what do you see happening two three years from now where are we evolving to what is the space going to look like yeah it's uh, it's difficult to say right um and the reason i say that is 
there are certain things that nobody has a clear view of yet. So we know that third-party cookies will be gone, as an example, um, but we don't yet understand the full extent of, of the technologies that will evolve to help brands better engage customers and, and to replace some of the um, some of the capabilities that we are losing with third-party cookies disappearing. Um, but I do think that we will end up in a situation a couple of years from now where organizations have a better handle on their first-party data. Um, they've started to think far more extensively about building trust with customers and have some plans in place to do that. Um, and, and they'll be gathering data with that in mind. And there will be technologies that allow them to more effectively leverage that first-party data that they're gathering. There's already a lot today that can be done with the first-party data. And we've spoken about some of it already. But I think there's going to be um, more opportunities and avenues opening up in the future. And um, brands need to think about how they um, establish that, re that engagement with their customers and they're open about how they're wanting to use data and possibly how they want to share some of that data with, with other organizations, right? Mm. Um, how does organization A and B collaborate to come together and deliver a better experience for the customer and at the same time be very open about the fact that they want to share data to deliver that better experience and get the customer's agreement for that. So I think we're going to see, hopefully, a, um, a more open and more trusted ecosystem moving forward um, where customers just don't feel like they've been you know, stalked by strange brands that they've never heard of before. Yeah, absolutely. And then, Nick, in closing, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, um, yeah, I would, I would say um, I would encourage the listeners to, to maybe take a step back and just think a little bit about what are their plans for, for customer data? Um, you know, I think most people know that third-party cookies are disappearing, um, but I don't know if, if everybody's necessarily stepped back and thought about what that means for their particular organization. Um, and I would say that's a, a little bit of reflection on, on that topic is something that is probably warranted. And from there, you know, they can start to think about what might be most important for their organization. It does differ from one organization to another. You know, some people have a lot more first-party data today than others do. And for some, it'll be easier to get access to that first-party data. Um, so each brand, each organization is a little bit different. But I, I would say that it's important to start to think about the role that first-party data plays and how you become more relevant to your customer base um, so that you don't become a dinosaur moving forward. In summarizing what you said, you start with an audit and then build an approach to move forward. An audit is definitely a good idea. Um, it helps you to understand, you know, how are you, how are you collecting and using data today? How are you using the cookies that will disappear? Often that opens up a whole host of um, insights around things that could be done a little bit better. Um, so yes, an audit is, is, a, is a good place to start. Um, and then, yeah, you need to start to put some plans together to address the gaps that you see. Nick, thank you so much for your time. It's been an amazing, amazing conversation. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you, Audrey. I enjoyed it and um, it was great to be here. Okay, cool. Bye-bye. We're excited. You're excited. I 
really value and appreciate your support during this time. Helping decision makers navigate the change and keep some change in their pockets. Don't forget to subscribe, follow our Instagram handle at TalkDigitalZA. Engage us on our website at TalkDigitalZA.co.za. And who knows, you could be featuring on the next one.